At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. I'm Laura Youngkin of The Brave Millennial. This is Lars Helgeson, CEO of GreenRope and author of CRM for Dummies. I'm Allison Bloom-Fastock, the founder and CEO of Know Your Crew. This is Brad Van Dam, president and CEO of Marge Confectionery. And you're listening to High Level Wisdom for New Generation Leaders. Are you looking to bridge the gap between your executive team and that emerging leadership that you know one day is poised to be the next tier of leadership in your company? Well, you should make sure that we have a conversation about the High Level Wisdom Workshop. It's a fun, intensive that is one day on your grounds, working with your best and brightest of executives and that emerging leadership to come together to talk about communication, building out knowledge roadmaps, and more importantly, how do we ensure that we have successful transitions in our companies so we don't lose our institutional knowledge? If you want more information, feel free to reach out to me, Chris, at highlevelwisdom.com. You know, it's amazing to me today how many companies struggle to get their marketing teams and their technology teams to work in sync. What's also interesting to me is how many companies today are so large that they don't have time to focus on the future. They only really kind of focus on maintaining what they have today. And I know you as an executive really would like to carve out time in order to work on tomorrow's portion of your company today. Well, I tell you, there's a company that can really help you get into that and make the fortunate discoveries that you need right now. You want to insert Serendipity Interactive. This company is all about making sure that while you are working on today, they're helping you build out what you need to make the fortunate discoveries for your future. If you want to know more about how they can help your company, feel free to go to www serendipityinteractive.com that's serendipityinteractive.com hey we're looking for more ceos that's right as you hear on our show many times you've had a chance to hear so many different ceos who have talked to us but we're always looking for more interesting ceos who are doing some really great best practices to pass down that knowledge to the next tier of their organization Feel free to reach out to us if you know someone who might be interesting or an influencer or who has something that might be important to executives. You can send me an email at chris at highlevelwisdom.com or you can go to our website, www.highlevelwisdom.com and leave us a note. Now, let's listen to this week's episode. Hey, and welcome to another episode. I'm so excited and thankful for your attention, for your time. And while you were here, do us a favor, and I really want to have a conversation with you. Yes, you, the listener. So go to our website, www.highlevelwisdom.com, or go on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the handle at High Level Wisdom. 
If you've subscribed, thank you. If you have not, I hope you do it today because today's show is a very interesting one where we are actually interviewing someone in a, a world of data that is very important to uh, not only thought leaders like myself, uh, not only important to just CEOs and executives, but to entire companies. And this CEO is the head of a company that's been around since 1955, and he's also a Gen Xer. So um, it's very interesting uh, to be a part of a company and run the helm uh, from his perspective. And just to give you an idea of who I'm talking about, I'm talking about Mike Zanny. Now, Mike is pretty interesting because in 1996, he was the coach of the U.S. sailing team. And you wonder, well, how did he make a jump from sailing to being the head of a worldwide, very well-known company and respected? Uh, that is the Predictive Index. Now, you say, what is the Predictive Index? It's a software that's definitely been around for many, many years. Many companies use it. Uh, it's a simple methodology that helps you understand what drives your people so you can really take them where you want them to go. We'll let that sink in for a minute. So I really want you to sit back, take notes. You probably listened to this several times. Make sure you're subscribed so you can stay in tune. But we're talking about the predictive index, which has been translated to 70 different languages, been used in 142 different countries and conducted over 20 million behavioral assessments. Ladies and gentlemen, all I can say is hashtag he's got data. And I was so excited to have Mike on our show. Listen to our interview while I sit down and really break down what it is that Mike has been able to not only learn from his life, how he got from being the coach of the U.S. selling team to the head of the predictive index. But more importantly, what can he share with us about moving our employees forward? Take a listen. Mike, how are you today? Chris, I'm doing well. It's really a pleasure to be here with you. Uh, thank you for the very kind and generous introduction. Absolutely. And so. You are the CEO of the Predictive Index. Now, a lot of people know this because it's been around for quite some time. Um, a lot of companies have used it for for, for different uh, areas within their companies overall, even uh, just to be able to get a better understanding of whether it's been you know focused for their leadership or uh, for for understanding their organization. But share with everybody just a little bit about how you got from captain of a sailing team to to getting to this point where you're taking over a, a, a company that has real history here in the United States and around the world. And and what was that journey like to to going from, you know, where you were to, to now seeing business and life and the companies that you all work with, uh, you know, at this level? Share with our, our audience just a little bit about that story. Yeah, I'd love to. And I'll, I'll do it in sort of two parts. Um, the first part, and is really the quick part, is we were, my business partner and I, um, who through our search fund vehicle, we purchase companies um, usually that have a secession issue. So we purchase it usually from aging founders, and we take, we take over um, running the company. And in, my business partner and I have done this you know, four times over the last 15 years. And in our first company, a company located in suburban Detroit, um, we were introduced to the predictive index. So we, we were clients of the predictive index for 10 years 
using it as you know passionate users to help us with our human capital strategies and it, it's it's amazing that there's an there's an old Victor Kayam commercial where he says I, I like the product so much I, I purchased the company when he was talking about I think Norelco razors and yes quite literally Dan, <laughs> Daniel my business partner and I we like the company so much we we bought the company <laughs> and 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 that that's the, the the short answer of of why the predictive index and I'll get into that but my my personal story arc um, you know really comes from if if I had to thank my parents for having an, an indulgent youth I, I lived in Miami's in the winter and uh, Cape Cod in the summers which is uh, ridiculously spoiled I know but I had the I had the the pleasure of being able to sail my entire life. My dad was in the Coast Guard, grew up around boats, and it was just something that came very natural to me. And, you know, you look at uh, Malcolm Gladwell's book, Outliers, and he says you need something like 10,000 hours to become an expert in something. And, you know, I I had 20,000 hours sailing probably by the time I was, you know, 16 years old. And, you know, ended up growing up a, a very competitive sailor. Uh, as you said, I, I went to Brown and I was trained as a, as a geochemist. And, and, and amazingly, I tried to make geochemistry work for me. You know, I w- was an environmental consultant for a year and almost went to get a PhD in, in meteorology. And, and lucky I didn't go down the academic path. I, I really have an entrepreneurial spirit. And while applying to academia, I needed to put food on the table, and I used my skills as a sailor, as a sailing coach, and absolutely started a starting a, started a, a sailing clinic company where we taught high-end clinics to kids all over the world. Um, I ended up having twelve coaches sort of working through me, and um, you know, as you pointed out, that culminated with me having the opportunity to coach at the '96 Olympics, and. It was actually a sailboat manufacturer who approached me and said, I'd like to buy your little sailing school. And he says, we're thinking about making an acquisition. We're thinking about buying the Sunfish and the Laser, which are, for, for anyone who's seen a sailboat on a lake at a camp, um, it's probably a Sunfish. It's one of the most popular boats in the world, uh, that and the Hobie Cat. But we had the, we, we purchased in, in 1996, um, I was involved with a group of four individuals who ended up purchasing the Sunfish and Laser and really uh, assembling about 60% of the small boat manufacturing in North America. And it was the first time since sailing that I had ever been as inspired and challenged, and it was about business. It was about this world of business. And, you know, I was 27. I had a great mentor. Um and I got really fired up about business, and and that that mentor suggested I I go to 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 get my MBA, um, which really changed the course from being a competitive sailor to to exercising a little bit of competition in the business world. And when at at Harvard Business School, um, I ran into the model of the search fund, which is quite simply buying used companies with other people's money. And then putting yourself in charge. And wow. as soon as the day I heard that, I was like, I got to do that. Right. That's what I want to do. <laughs> that sounds like an um, awesome business plan. <laughs> it's a, you know, it's a great business plan. And the, the business plan stems from 
a lot of entrepreneurs don't have great ideas. Right. But they, they're entrepreneurial, and there are great ideas out, hit, out there that, that don't have great business people running them. Exactly. And so you can marry some capital. You can marry some management talent and entrepreneurship and take someone's previously great idea or an idea that is great but could be greater. And the search fund um, model is where my business partner, Daniel, and I, we, we bought our first company uh, in Detroit, and it was a mess from an HR perspective. It was an absolute catastrophe. And we, we, ha- we used a lot of tools, but we really glommed on to the predictive index as a tool to help us turn around our strategic human capital strategy. Only four of the 45 people who worked at that company made it. Those who made it were the best and the brightest, and we assembled a great team around them, and we're really able to grow a company, you know, from six and a half million in revenue to 25 million in revenue in four years. Wow. And and, and we're able to build a a world-class team to do so. Now, now, would you say that the growth was definitely uh, from the insights and the 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 learnings that I would even say, you know, you as a leader. Right. Because I'm sure there was some things that you learned about yourself in that process. But then more importantly, that what you learned about the those in that team using the predictive index, would you say those were kind of that was probably a major factor in helping you all make that sort of leap within four years? Certainly the predictive index helped helped me and my business partner and those who learned the, the methodologies to really understand human behavior and dynamics. And, you know, I, I think we can dive into that in a bit. Sure. But we, we, were, we, were, young, we were young leaders. We were 33, 34. Um, we, we, we had led initiatives. We had led teams. But we had never led companies. And it was, um, it was something that we made a lot of mistakes. Um, we had a young team that was willing to, and I don't, I don't mean just young age-wise, I mean, you know, young attitudinally as well, um, you know, willing to deal with sort of newer leaders and being willing to make mistakes. Um, and interestingly, I have a, I have a funny anecdote from, from that company. That was, um, so at, at Law Enforcement Development Company, it was, we went by the acronym LEDCO, and we had an intern in probably 2006, 2007, and this intern was a really bright sophomore or something, physics student at University of Michigan, and worked all summer on this, on this project, and this is my first impression of a millennial in the workplace, and at the end of the summer, uh, this young young man put together a, a, a presentation of his of his summer's work and really blew us all away. He was, it was he, he showed a confidence that we hadn't seen all summer and really in in the presentation just was glowing and 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 really being big and bold and it was impressive. Wow. Um, and afterward, I went up to him and I said. Uh, you know that's a really great job. I was I was thoroughly impressed. Nice job today. And he he comes back and he says, you know, Mike, I thought you did a great job too. Nice job yourself. And I was like, what? Like, <laughs> why is this intern 
who who is presenting telling the CEO that the CEO did a nice job. And it, it, it sort of struck me that um, there's a, a little bit of this egalitarian attitude that I think has, maybe technology has created this, but that millennials seem to, they have the ability to find reviews on things and give reviews seamlessly, you know, think Yelp and Glassdoor and sure. Facebook and LinkedIn. Sure. It, that, that, that beautiful, you know, technological element that has happened in the last 15 years has made this, you know, this, this egalitarian sort of equation come out that anyone can be a critic. Anyone can be a reviewer. And <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I have always remembered this anecdote of where this, you know, young man is like, "Nice job, Mike," and I was like, "Thank you." <laughs> no one had critiqued me in a while, and I probably needed that. So I, I say this, um, you know, you 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 think about managing, um, you know, y- younger generations, and you know, empirically, we believe millennials to be different. We, we perceive these differences in the workplace, and sometimes they are stark um, in contrast to, to maybe how we would behave with a different generation and different social and cultural norms and mores. And, um, but I think about this. You could probably go to any generation and say, ugh, kids today. And, like, kids today might look like millennials, but... You go back into the into the 80s, and the and the kids today were, you know, the, the the beginning of Gen X, and you go back into the 60s, and the kids today were actually the boomers, and you know, long hair, and you know, they were driving around in Volkswagen Beetles. And you go to the kids today in the 50s and post-war World War II, and you know, living the American dream and go-go growth, and you know, jeans and a T-shirt and I think if you take that kids today, it, it really is, it's not about managing millennials. It's about managing change. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. And it's just because as soon as, as soon as we blink, you know, Gen Z is, you know, knocking on the door behind millennials. And, you know, I'm sure there'll be some manager who's going to go kids today and <laughs> ink will be spilled on you know, how to manage Gen Z. And- Absolutely. Well, and, and you bring up an interesting point because one of the things that I thought was very unique about the space you play in is you work with companies all around the world. We're talking 142 different countries, you know, 20 million behavioral assessments. That's that's not a small number. And I'll say it again, just in case someone thinks I missed the number. No, 20 million behavioral assessments inside the database of a predictive index. But then on top of that, you're a Gen Xer. So your perspective, which I find very interesting, and if you don't mind talking about this, is a little unique because you're not raising millennials, but you're hiring them. But as a parental portion, you would have the Gen Z in your home and you get to see some kind of different dynamics that maybe eventually we may see, as you said, you know, the ink will start spilling and we'll say, oh, those Gen Zers, right? But they may be common threads. What? How has being an ex or running a company of this size that sees kind of every type of company, right, coming to you all for help and assessments, 
how has that been unique to you as far as working with different people and being able to kind of see, you know, all the different sides, whether it's an executive coming to you and saying, we don't know what the heck we're doing with these young people, (laughs) right? Or a tech startup that's wanting, you know, to kind of start early with their, um, with their understanding of their teams. What kind of things have you just noticed that you go, you know, yeah, this is kind of an aha moment, whether it's uh, working with millennials or whether it's working with the boomer. Well, it's so it's 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 interesting when we look at the the data set of, you know, 20 million assessments and we're we're sort of accruing three million new assessments every year as as the company has really grown. And, um, you know, it, it is it is an amazing data set. And what I was just saying before, it's it's kids today and it's change. The change is really in those social and cultural mores. The the underlying fundamental, you know, behavioral drives, needs, and dynamics, those haven't changed. Um, And I use as an example, I had my my parents over for dinner last night. Um, They are close to 80 years old. And I ended up giving them a behavioral readback of their interpersonal dynamics. Oh, wow. And <laughs> they just, so they laughed. They said, I wish you told us that 30 years ago or 40 years ago, as you, you can talk about the joys and frustrations of two people and how they differ. And you can actually have the same conversation with Gen Z. You know, you can look, you can, you can talk to two 15-year-olds and talk about the joys and frustrations, you may use different examples in describing those elements. But our data shows that behavioral norms are not, sorry, the, um, the behavioral drives which are normed to the population are not changing. So if we took a million people and surveyed them 30 years ago and a million people and served them today and a million people and surveyed them you know, 15 years from now, we, we would not see changes in behavioral drives, or we have not in our data set seen that progression. Um, you will see cultural norms from country to country change uh, slightly and have different percentages, but across a large data set with a really large N, you're seeing a, a, a balance, a bell curve, if you will. Wow. So. I, I think what you can see is behavioral science and some of the behavioral uh, frameworks can actually help people across generations come up with a common language where the cultural and social languages may not, you, you may be speaking different words and you're not getting through that veneer of the cultural and social mores, but if you can, if you can see the underpinnings of the 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 framework, which is some some behavioral science, and one of the things we talk about when we try and we, we call it decoding the human. Okay. And we use this we use this framework called uh, head harp briefcase, and you know in order to be culturally sensitive, you can modify that to be head heart backpack for millennials. <laughs> there you go. But the 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 head. Um, the head is we're talking about behavioral science and cognitive science. You know, what are people's preferences? 
um, what are their drives, what are their needs, and also what are their cognitive capabilities. And those things are relatively fixed over the course, uh, you know, by the time you enter the workforce at 18, the scientists sort of agree that your cognitive capabilities and your behavioral tendencies are relatively fixed. So those are now, things that most people would say, then you're saying from the data scientists, those are the things that would be hardest to try to tackle first and change in someone, right? You, yeah. You, okay. you don't change them. You embrace them. Gotcha. And okay. they, they, are, they are fixed, relatively fixed. They're pretty hard-coded. And um, what you can do is people with higher levels of, say, self-awareness will actually spend more time embracing their weaknesses and working on them. But their, their preferences and tendencies and sort of capabilities are relatively fixed. It's just what people choose to do about it. Now, um, is those preferences and those things that are fixed, are we saying those are influenced by background, upbringing, social status, uh, what they may have access to as far as resources? Is that a fair statement? It, that's actually a, a, a really elegant question that, you know, someone could try and answer at, a, at you know, at getting a Ph.D. in, in psychology. It's, it's not a simple equation. OK. But yes, okay. the the nature, nurture, um, experience sort of conundrum, they, it, it, it all goes in there. Sure. Into some capabilities. Sure. But there's certainly a mix of uh, your 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 sort of. DNA as well as the experiences you've had. But when you, when you get to the other part of the framework, you've got the head, the heart, and the backpack. The heart component is, is, is your, your ethics, your values, your, your level of engagement with an activity. Um, and the third thing, is, the backpack, is the skills, the knowledge, and experiences that you will have over over time, and you constantly are filling your backpack with new stuff. And the reason we bring up this framework is when you want to to see you know workplace performance or other performance, it's the head, it's the heart, and the backpack who all contribute to what you see showing up at work on a day to day basis. But when we're evaluating people, we sort of we break it down into into those respective segments. So that if you're hiring a 22-year-old newly minted undergrad with a liberal arts degree and blah, 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 there's almost nothing in the backpack. You know, they have... <laughs> All right. You're, you're not hiring them for skills, knowledge, and experience. You're really hiring them for head and heart. Interesting. And now the opposite is true if you're hiring, you know, the head of... R&D for a biotech company, you're really heavily weighting the, the backpack because you need skills, knowledge, and experience that is commensurate with being, you know, the head of product at a biotech company. But when, when, when you're trying to, so if, if, I'm a, if, if I'm a leader of a company or a manager, whatever generation I am, I want to know what, the, what these things are so that I can not only predict success in filling a position with hiring and selection, but I also want to modify myself so that I speak, I speak to a person's needs 
fundamentally. Interesting. So wow. It it becomes an it becomes an element that I use I use this framework as a bit of the language which breaks down those cultural and social mores. Hmm. So so, so you you're getting yeah. to a point that I think is very interesting that I want you to continue down this path on. Because as you're talking, one of the things I'm thinking is if, you know, if I'm a millennial, I'm 25 to 35, I'm, you know, I know I want to be in leadership. I know that there are things that I want to get into. But what you're speaking to is getting a layer deeper to being able to speak into those things. How can understanding this from the let's just let's just kind of really zero in on the millennial here and we'll get to the baby boomer. But how can a millennial leverage this sort of I would you know, we can go back to the term of self-awareness. Right. How can a millennial leverage this sort of knowledge and understanding as they're going throughout their career? Like how, how can they say, okay, I see how knowing this about either myself or some of the stereotypes or some of the understanding of what a leader who might be a Gen Xer or a baby boomer is looking for so that I can best position myself? Because I think that's the one thing that those are 25 or 35 are always wondering. You're scratching your heads on and saying, look, you know, Mike, I hear you, but. I don't know how to best position myself with all of this data, you know, that that I might get, whether it's about me or what I'm gathering about those who are older. So what's, what's interesting is people often miss two elements of management. And most people think of management and they think of managing down. It's really important to think of also managing across to your peers and managing up to your to your supervisors, bosses. This, this skill of managing up, down, and across, which will be asymmetric, you don't always manage the same way up, down, or across, that these millennials who may still be, um, you know, they're getting into some significant leadership positions, but the majority of millennials are still early career and will be doing a lot of managing up and across. But those elements, how they like to manage themselves, may not be how other people want to be managed. And they're going to have to use this data and this self-awareness to say, what are my drives and needs? What motivates me? What, what are my preferred work styles and strategies? And not necessarily apply that equation to everybody, but look around them and they could say, this peer who constantly frustrates me, and if I could only work better with them, we would be more successful. They need to actually think about them in context of the other person. and How can I get my relationship back on track or better manage across to appear so we can, we can be mutually beneficial to each other through this journey? And they will start unlocking tremendous value and potential in their own career because they can accelerate, they can accelerate their career path. They can see better successes. They can, they can get impeded you know, less frequently. And be one of those people who can really make an impact within, broadly speaking, an organization. Absolutely. So um, we can run an experiment right now. Um, we can probably do this, you know, in short order. And and I might add this to the show notes just so people can see what you're talking about. But I like to give people practical understanding. So um, you all were gracious enough to allow me to take the actual predictive index results. And I have my results. So uh, I didn't know if, uh, if 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 Drew from the team was able to pull, give you a copy of my results. But I think what I would like to do is allow you to be able to share uh, my results 
talk about, you know, things that you see in that. And, and, and this gives people an understanding of how to leverage information, right? That the predictive index gives. So, um, it, do you have those? I think Drew might have sent them to you, um, so, so that you would have a copy of that. Um, I think it would just be yeah, an interesting I, I, piece of the conversation. I, I'm so excited to do this. This is a, this is a fantastic opportunity to do live. And I am just, I'm just pulling that up right now. Absolutely. Sorry. Absolutely. No, that that's fine. Because here's what I'm thinking as, as you're pulling that up. One of the cool things about um, what, what I find unique about what you all do is um, everyone knows that millennials have a, uh, a bend towards technology and data because of the technology that's come out since 99, just being able to access things quicker. And I loved your idea about the backpack, the things that, you know, you haven't really built those things out yet, but you do have that head and heart. And that head and heart can tell you not only a lot about yourself, but why you may react certain ways that you do, why certain things may be stressors for you, why certain things like I'm, I'm always always thinking about how these things kind of work. And so being a millennial advisor myself, also being uh, of the older side of the millennials, I think it's, it's, I think it's very, very key to your point. I I love the point that you made around, Hey, we got to learn how to manage across, but also learning how to manage up. That's not easy. um, If you don't have what I would consider the self-awareness, if you don't know what are some of those triggers, good, bad, or indifferent, um, to, to how you approach work every day? How do you approach new relationships? Do you treat your, what I would call your text message, you know, conversations, uh, with the same level of, you know, uh, uh, relationship building as you do with your, 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 you know, your manager or sending an email corporately or, you know, running meetings. You know, some people think that it all kind of works together. Well, I can text my boss and we can have side candid conversation and I can also email them and I can also walk into their office and they may not always be uh, the same. But I think when you have assessments like this, and this is one of the things I love about the predictive index is that I can personally immediately. And I think this is what our younger audience needs to understand. I can immediately take this information and begin to be better self-aware about what way my career trajectory should be going and what things I should be looking for, how I should be moving it. You know, if I'm side of a corporation or if I wanted to be like Mike and, you know, go from, you know, uh, coaching a sailing team to saying I'm going to, you know, work with startups and we'll marry the money with the idea and, and, and go forward. But however that journey looks, I just think this is, I think this is a really cool assessment. And in the show notes, uh, for our audience, you guys will get a chance to see my, uh, predictive index results. You'll get a chance to see kind of what we're doing, but Mike, I want you to kind of talk to, uh, the results and, and share with people how you would say this should be leveraged. If I was working for a corporation or I'm looking to continue to grow my leadership qualities. Oh, I, I, I would love the opportunity to share the, the, what's interesting is we, we measure for workplace, commonly found workplace drives. The drives we label are dominance, extroversion, patience, and formality. And they can't be described in one word. And, uh, but when I look at your, I'm looking at the there's a behavioral pattern, which is a, a set of, you know, it's a, it looks like a curve or a set of squiggly lines that 
gives me a pictorial view of you know your drives. Those drives help predict your needs, and those needs help predict your behavior. No guarantee of behavior, but highly predictive of. Sure. And the the first thing I notice, Chris, is you are you know a sigma and a half low on patience. This low patience doesn't mean you can't be patient with, say, your children. But what it does mean is you apply pressure to yourself naturally. You, you, you deal with, you know, juggling and you need variety. You, you, you have a foot tapping pace and energy that is, it's like an internal motor that just, you know, sort of is so apparent when someone gets to know you that you are just running hard. And that is self-driven and core to who you are. And you, you, if, if I put you in an early career, say if I ran into Chris at 16 years old, right. and I put you into a grocery store, and if I put you behind checkout, you'd make it two hours before you were like, Mike, i got to do something else. <laughs> I can't deal with the repetition. All right. Could I clean up a mess on aisle five? Could I break bulk? Could I, could I greet people at the front door? All of which would be a much better choice for the 16-year-old Chris Williams you know, trying to make five bucks an hour after school. And, but you're, you're also someone who's really quick to connect with people. You are, you're, you're people centric. You like to influence people to a positive response. You are someone who, you know, innately becomes a, a student of how people tick. You watch body language. You're, you're very thoughtful and careful with language. You can brainstorm and spitball real time. You don't need to think through things, which probably makes you excellent at being a host of a podcast. How about that? Um, <laughs> and yeah, but you, you also have strong, you, you, you have high formality, strong attention to detail, so, strong structure. You probably like to run your, your interview process in a, in, a, in, a, in a structured, organized, thoughtful way. And when I take this, we, we take your whole pattern and we, we have a name for it. It's, 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 we call it altruistic service. Um, really? Okay. Someone, someone, someone who likes structure, uh, naturally cooperative, collaborative, congenial, you know, receptive and open to ideas, receptive to input, uh, often asks, what can I do to help you? Um, positive response to pressure, someone who's empathetic, um, enthusiastic in their approach, can be fast, intense, but efficient with good follow-up. And, you know, you're typically someone we see in management who can get a lot of stuff done at a high-quality level. Like, you put a lot, typically put a lot of output. So that's a short version. Does that resonate with you? You, you know, it's interesting. So let's let's use the podcast as an example. And I'm unpacking myself here live on a show, so this ought to be interesting. Um, but... Um, what's interesting about that is, is so if we, let's just use the show. Um, and, and we'll talk about my experience with you going through this process. Right. So I, I reached out, uh, a couple months ago, uh, was able to talk with, uh, uh, drew on the team who got me in touch with that. And I was able to share as a part of our, our understanding. And some people wonder like, how do you, you know, how is it that you're booking these people? Well, when I do my reach outs, I have a, I have a very, um, a very structured process. 
I also provide a lot of information and details up front. So you've been able to see that as well, right? With your team that uh, I have a structure of our outline of the interview that it's, it's, um, it's very organic, but there are certain things that I want to touch on. So I'm very detailed in what I provide, right? Um, part of that is, is because I am a detail oriented person. I'm also big. And one of the things that you mentioned, uh, in here, which is very true of me, I'm just a big planner. Um, I believe for planning for, uh, the things that you can see. And I also believe in planning for the contingencies of the things you have no idea are going to happen. Right. So, um, I made sure that, you know, your team was well-versed in my ask. They were well-versed on what the format was going to be like, uh, that you all had all the resources that you need to be able to see what we do as an organization, uh, why I thought that this would be interesting. Um, and of course the structure of, you know, talking with Drew, talking with Thad, uh, who are all great in the process and then getting opportunity to talk with you, you know, for those 15 minutes. So absolutely. I would, I would say even just using this podcast, it's a, it's a very structured, uh, uh, a piece, but one of the things is that to your point of being of the mindfulness of it all is that I'm mindful that I'm talking to CEOs. Their time is of value is of probably the most important thing that they're going to give, uh, more than anything else is their time. And so what I really care about at the end of the day is, was the experience that they had with me worth their time? So I try to make sure that structurally it looks and it feels good. So uh, that that definitely speaks to, to to where you're coming from. And it, it's, it's, it's interesting, you know, we've we've communicated for probably a half an hour to 40 minutes now. So we we know elements of each other, but we don't know each other. But your pattern would you would make an exceptional account executive you know someone who could you know if, if we had large accounts and it was you know big dollars and we wanted to say say Hewlett Packard was our was our account and we put you in charge of it to really embody Hewlett Packard and make sure they're successful within our organization your pattern would crush that activity I have no idea if you have any interest in account management, but all <laughs> right. I can tell you is that your your behavioral drives and needs would be met by the job, and you would be a natural fit for that role. And and there are other things that if I said, don't go into finance and accounting with high repetition, the early career would have killed you right. from a repetition perspective and lack of people interaction. Right. Um, so. What we do is we, we use these behavioral analytics to be productive, you know, um, predictive. So if I were managing you, I need to make sure that I, you have an opportunity to connect with people. You have an opportunity to show your expertise in areas and that you have a lot of variety. If I do that, your needs will be very met. So if I met you at an early career, if I could do that for you, you would appreciate me as a manager. You would, you would say, you know, Mike really cares about me. He always, he always makes sure that I have, a I, I, I have time to give feedback. He gives me that attaboy, attaboy once in a while, which is often important to someone with your profile. And it can't be just a platitude, but a very specific, truthful, positive feedback. That's like candy for you. And it, if I just know these very core things, I can actually transcend if I was 
80 years old and you were 22 or whether we were both Gen X, those things still still hold true. So I think transcend the maybe the, the cultural and social imbalance we might have by being in generations sure. by understanding how people pick. Well, that does it for another great episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. I told you that Mike would be interesting, and I'm so glad that you had a chance to listen today. Hey, do me a favor. While it's fresh on your mind, share this with your friends. Share it on LinkedIn, uh, wherever you have connections. Make sure you let them know. Have them join us in the conversation. Make sure you're subscribed. We're on iTunes, uh, which is now called Apple Podcasts. We're on Google Play, Chromecast, AHA Radio, iHeartRadio as well and a host of many others. So we would love for you to subscribe so you can listen to not only this week's episode, but even previous weeks and even in the future. Also, give us uh, one of your favorite quotes from today's episode. You can share that with us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter using the handle at high level wisdom all together. Thank you guys so much for listening. I look forward to ensuring that we provide you with part two of our interview in just two days. Whatever you do for the rest of the day, make sure you do it at a high level. Take care.